morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whenever you're listening to this. Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens to help start conversations. I'm your host, Matthew Thompson. I'm Tanner Higgins, and we've got Mason Simmons with us again. Yes, back again. Dude, it's awesome. Um, it's in the middle of the week. No. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's in the middle of my week. What day is Dude, it? It's in the middle of my week. You know, I have that weird scheduling. Okay. Yeah. So it's the middle of my week. So it is my Wednesday. Yeah, but, that's, that's fair. But uh, we're still kind of somewhat trying to establish this. Don't worry, guys, whoever's listening. We're in the middle of the coronavirus crap deal thing. And we are practicing social distancing. There's only four people in here. So we're good. Yeah. We're not six feet apart, but yeah, yet we're still good. Yeah. We're, we're all young. Yeah, I can hear love. some people screaming at their uh, speakers at the illegitimacy of that statement. But <laughs> we don't have hand sanitizer, though, yeah, or right. any like Lysol wipes. But in all we have tissues in the corner. We, tissues. Those are for snotty. Oh, if you got snotty nose, get out. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, um, to anyone who's been listening to these as they come out week after week, uh, since we've been having episodes releasing every mm. Saturday, it's kind of easy to not be aware of this, because why would you? But, I mean, we haven't recorded in a while. I mean, since all this uh, stuff went down, we've kind of been hiding out, kind of playing it by ear, seeing what happens, and uh, finally we, we, we came to the decision that we can, I mean, we can pull this off while still being safe. We're not coughing on each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, us talking about the, the coronavirus, I mean, for one, how can't you at, at this moment yeah. in time? But before you turn us off, I know, we know, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you've probably heard about 50 billion episodes on the coronavirus. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of podcasts out there talking about the coronavirus. It's mind-numbing. And there are plenty of religious, uh, like Christian podcasts, that address it, and that's and that's good and such. But we're not here to offer the coronavirus specific episode. We want to go a little deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this underlying thought that a lot of non-believers, and I'm sure a lot of believers, kind of struggle with this too. This idea of like all these bad things that happen in the world, from natural disasters to pandemics to uh, mass killings to wars to anything bad. Like, how could God allow this to happen? And that's what we're going to be getting into into this episode. Yeah. Pain and suffering. And, you know, pain and suffering, that's something that I believe that every human can relate to. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, from the child that I mean, this is this is going to be a hard uh, couple of episodes. This isn't going to be easy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got pain and suffering from, you know, the elder dealing with cancer to the child that's being abused at home. So there's definitely different types of pain and suffering. And I think this is one thing that it's so hard to talk about because it is a hard thing. Uh, but we know that every age and generation is different in how do they respond. But then there's also a way that they respond systemically and in the same that we can kind of talk to each other about it. But yet we don't like talking about our pains and sufferings. You know, I mean, when's the last time that a kid goes to school and says, Daddy whipped me? They, I mean, that, there's going to be some DCS being called. But, I mean, we don't brag about our pains and sufferings. So, I mean, that's something that we need to kind of dive deep into and look into see what, where do these pains and sufferings come from what how do we deal with them as christians yeah and how can we give hope during a time that just seems hopeless yeah that and as i already established uh, this isn't an episode where we're going to be talking about specifically the the current pandemic going around although obviously that's a lot of the reason that we're going over this subject uh, but i think one thing that's interesting that we may or may not uh, talk about further in this episode or in a future one is it's been a, a minute since America specifically has been through like such a troubling time. I mean, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but really the last time we had like this big disaster that uh, caused people to come together in faith was 9-11. 9-11. I, I, I would assume so. That, this is the thing that most recent in my lifetime. Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously there have been plenty of like tragedies yeah. in between that time and this time, but in terms of like the whole world coming and recognizing, oh, this is this is rough. I mean, obviously you have like the disasters like the Sandy Hook shooting, for instance. I mean, there True. there are things that have happened in between now and then, but when we're talking like global scale stuff that makes people really just look towards the ceiling and go, why God? I think that 9-11 is the, the last huge one that we had. Mm-hmm. Were you so, even alive? Yes, I was alive. Were you? I was... Ten months old. Yeah. <laughs> Ten months old. <laughs> yeah. No, but this this is a, a confusing time because uh, we're in the midst of a disaster right now that prevents us from gathering, like physically. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, some churches have pulled through. I mean, I, I know our church uh, just yesterday, uh, we had like a, a drive-in service, and several churches are doing that, and that allows us to still come together. But it, it really it can leave one wanting for hope. Because mm-hmm. after going through such a time of relative prosperity, despite the, the other disasters that have happened in the past several decades, or just in our lifetime, um, we haven't really had this collective come-to-Jesus moment for a while. So it, it's definitely, it adds to the layer of it being like a trying time that like you can't even gather. So without further ado, let's, let's get into like, why does God let bad things happen? Mm-hmm. So we all know that, uh, you know, there's evil in the world, there's pain and suffering, and, you know, pain and suffering is a result a lot of times from certain evils. And we think, okay, so we've got tornadoes, twisters, and normally people wouldn't see that as evil, but yet that is a type of result uh, as the of evil and pain and suffering. That brings pain and suffering, and so in, in, inherently it is uh, what, what people would call natural evils. It's not, it doesn't have consciousness and it doesn't have thoughts and, and stuff like that, but yet it causes pain and suffering. And then you know, on the other side, you have a moral type of evil where man chooses to do wrong and to harm and to kill and to destroy and to take the innocence of people. So that is a moral type of evil that takes life and, and takes the innocence that, uh, that causes pain and suffering. So, and if you want to take the moral evil I think a lot of people would see this like, I want hope. I want restoration. I want to see uh, a coming back of what was broken. You know, I think a lot of times, I think that's one thing that why we have a, why God has set place a, a type of government to, for judicial systems to bring back, to fix what was broken. And then you think of natural evils of tornadoes and disasters. It's like, how can we reconcile this? But in Romans chapter eight, verse 20, and we're going to use the CSB uh, here. Uh, it says, for the creation was subjected to fertility. So the creation was subject to the original sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So even creation itself, these natural evils, are waiting, are waiting for restoration, is waiting for a redemption. And us as believers, we believe that when Christ comes back, that he's going to restore what was broken even to the depths of the earth to restore these natural disasters to something pure, something that is not what was meant to be. Uh, So with this in mind, it's a wonder that there's not more places that are, that are not more severely damaged by weather or that there's more lives that are lost. And 
I believe God is showing mercy upon his creation. You know, if, if it's due to sin, how come we don't have more tornadoes and we don't have more of these things? But I think God is still showing mercy in the midst of pain and suffering. Yeah, we could go off of that. Storms, I mean, you're absolutely right when it says, you know, God shows his mercy through us, you know, daily. I mean, as we know, right before all this pandemic stuff happened, we had the terrible tornadoes happen here mm -hmm. in Putnam County. And, you know, we say, oh, like, why does God let that happen? Okay, let's look at the other side of that. It could happen every year. Mm -hmm. it, it could happen, you know, every, you know, every time it storms, you know, there could be tornadoes that come and wipe out houses. So, I mean, the fact that it's only happened once in, I mean, recent memory, uh, that's pretty fortunate, yeah. you know, especially when you think of other places like uh, the people down in the south and near the Gulf, how they get hit with, you know, hurricanes yearly or people out in the west who have the, the tornadoes, you know, every other week or something like that. So, I mean, to think here in our area, um, I, I mean, I don't really think it's a coincidence how we're in the Bible Belt and we're protected from a lot of the natural disasters for the most part. Yeah, and one of the things that we, we're going to be talking about in uh, these next couple episodes is that there's going to be questions that arise in our mind when pain and suffering arise, when, you know, natural and, and moral disasters appear to in, in our lifetime. And a lot of these questions is like, well, it's God's fault. God did this to me. This is total. This is totally His doing. But in Genesis chapter three, uh, this is when the fall happened and, and sin entered the world. And starting in verse seventeen, and He said to Adam, "Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from. The ground is cursed. So the earth is cursed because of you. You'll eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow." And until you return to the ground since you were taken from the dust since you were taken from it you are dust and you will return to dust so it's not god's fault that there's pain and suffering in the world there's no it's not god's fault that we got to uh, live by the sweat of our brow and work hard and there's not god's fault that the earth isn't going to yield to us it's our fault it's it's this it's original sin and in our ancestors of old poor adam and eve causing the original sin that this stuff exists yeah, and I mean, we tackled when we were uh, talking about unity in our initial unity discussions, how when you look at those verses, how heartbreaking it is that uh, when Adam is confronted, the first thing he does is blame not only his wife, mm -hmm. Eve, but kind of shifts the blame to God yeah. for giving him Eve that would cause him to do the, the blame game is where we, we love to blame anyone but, uh, but ourselves. But I mean, there in verse 17, it's clear as day, the ground is cursed because of you. It's all stuff that we do to ourselves. But since we don't have this active shield that we can throw up whenever a disaster comes, we, we just look for anything else to blame because mm -hmm. we weren't prepared for this thing that we brought upon ourselves, that, that we brought upon ourselves with this sin. Um, a lot of the things that, that we cause to happen, because when you look at natural disasters, you think, well, how on earth does man cause that? And I mean, there are tons of arguments you could make for like why uh, the climate is what, is, uh, what it is. Like God made this, this earth for us to be a good steward of it. And if we abuse it, sometimes it's going to fight back. And there are arguments to be made there, but just uh, for the sake of being more um, literal, like the sin is what is what causes it at its root. We live in a mm -hmm. fallen world. The world doesn't cater to us anymore. That I mean, that's established in Genesis. So again, it's just it's something we bring upon ourselves. But again, we don't have that literal shield to bring up. So we look for someone else to say, "No, this is your fault. This is your fault because I can't handle the the fallout right now." So we can talk about all how 
we can talk all day long with the way that we feel and the way that we kind of think, but I think the best thing we can do is look at Scripture at tragedies and and, and pain and suffering. Um, and you know, and a lot of people they read Scripture and they they think, oh, it's you know, it's just a peaceful book and it's just it's so peaceful. It is, but we got to understand that is a painful book too. There's a lot of pain and suffering, and a lot of God's people that God chooses to work with and uh, chooses to follow God, they suffer more than anyone else. So the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, the flood. So I've gotten these notes here. I've got these notes here, and just the way the preacher man is in me, I have them set up in points, and they look like preacher points because I got four R's for one of them. That's that's (laughs) awful. I'm going to give you four R's for my preacher sermon. But anyways, we're going to start first. Start. Okay, so we're going to start talking about the flood. Yeah, and just to give um, kind of an initial scripture to go off of, because, I mean, the flood, uh, to anyone who's stepped foot inside a church, you've probably heard the story a million times. Uh, So just to kind of establish uh, a scriptural basis, chapter 6 in Genesis, verse 13, is when God gives the the warning to Noah. It says, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Now, that, that seems like... Well, that's more than a threat from God. That's a promise. <laughs> so it, when you look at that, especially when you compare it to natural disasters of today, it's, it, you can look at it and be like, wow, why, why would God do such a thing? And there's plenty of context around that. So let's uh, dive into what, what the purpose of the flood was um, and, and is. I mean, this goes further than past tense because there are promises uh, that came from that that extend to today and uh, into eternity. So, Tanner, you have some notes down on this. So what, I mean, what would your opening statement be on that? So... I think the flood in itself, we got to look that it's not all about just judgment. Uh, And that's kind of the key ingredient why God is doing this, why the flood is being put before upon the earth, because man lives deceitfully and wicked. And I don't know what's all going on there. I mean, you can make speculations. I'm sure there's child sacrifices. You know, there's incest. There's a lot of things that uh, that are ungodly. And correct me if I'm wrong. Who says it in the New Testament? I think it was it's probably Paul that says that the days to come to the end to the end will be the days of Noah. So I mean, I, I guess the closer that we get to Christ's return, I guess we can kind of see what Noah's days are like. I don't know. But that's that's what scripture says. So uh with all this said, it's not just judgment, but there is a promise of hope. So a foreshadowing of the final judgment, I think you can see that it is parallel with the second coming of Christ. That those that choose to follow God's instructions, those that choose to follow and get in Christ's boat uh, of safety and security, they are saved from God's final judgment. And one interjection that I'd like to make, because I feel like this is a very relevant uh, piece of information when it comes to discussing the flood. Because, again, it's I think uh, I've touched on this before, maybe in the the Unity uh, three-part series that we did. Um, stories in the Bible that we just know growing up, so it's easy to gloss over certain areas of it. Because it's, I think it's an easy argument to make uh, for either a non-believer or a very skeptic believer that's like having some doubt in their lives or just that's confused about this uh, scripture. It's like, why, why would God choose to wipe out creation because it's wicked? Because creation's mm-hmm. always been wicked. It always will be wicked until the, the final redemption comes. We have the, the New Jerusalem and all that. Like that, that's how sin works. It, it corrupts. I mean. People on earth today are wicked. Wicked things happen. Natural disasters, pandemics, what have you. So, like, what's so special about the flood that, like, 
we really supposed to just trust a rainbow on this? But you got to look at the the situation on Earth at the time. It was a little bit of a different ball game back then. Uh, in that same chapter, uh, chapter six of Genesis, in verse four, it touches on. Uh, it says the Nephilim were on the Earth both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind, who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men, angels. The the angels that rebelled, they came to Earth and sired children. That's messed up. <laughs> like, I mean, it talks about them being the warriors of old. Like that brings to mind that that makes me think of, and this is entirely opinion. We're we're getting into the weeds here, but like when you look at the the Norse gods, like back in the day, like have have you ever thought about that? No, I mean, not really. I know that we're getting into deep cuts. Oh, here, okay, I, okay, I can see where you go. Like. I mean, you got other world because you know the, the flood. You've got other cultures that have like a flood story, mm-hmm. and you've got like one culture over here that says like the uh, G- G- Gilgamesh. Yeah, this, yeah, the Epic of Gilgamesh yeah. Yeah. has a uh, flood story. It's different. It's not. It's yeah. not scripture. Uh, but then I guess the other historical references, possibly. I mean, but then you can also have other references of this is. Of, of of different of the nephilims and stuff like that small yeah godlike creatures or yeah, whatever but i mean there were like supercharged superhuman wicked beings out there at this time it, w- it was a very different landscape so I, I think that's an important piece of information now what you do with that info is up to you i mean that was kind of matthew's opinion corner right there but <laughs> i don't know i like to bring it up the, the nephilim that verse i mean it's just one verse that's so easy to just like skip over because i mean nephilim's a big word and I mean, especially if you're a kid being taught about the flood, you don't really mm-hmm. get taught that now, part. I'm, I want to – so in, in, in the Old Testament with his Nephilim, you have creation opening the door, welcoming these sinful beings. And I think today you have a lot of people, even people within the church, that, that they see nothing wrong with it. They're opening the, the door to these evil deities and these the, the, the evilness of what the devil can see as a – angel of light that can be nice to look at, but in all reality that, that it's creating these uh, these awful children in your life. When I say children, back here in the Old Testament they had, you know, demented and, and, and bore children out of them. But here I think it, it bears horrible bad fruit in today's in today in our in today's life. Because angels aren't coming out and these these fallen angels are ca- having babies with us today. Yeah. But we are bearing fruit nasty fruit if we allow these bad things to come up on our life. So yeah, if you're talking about the Nephilim, you know, you've got people just being openly accepting to the wicked. You know, you've got people just going out and just worshiping false idols and not worshiping the true God, which is not that far from when original creation uh, happened. Uh, and in verse 5, it says that when the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and, the, and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted, which regretted, you can see that he, he grieved, it, it tore him apart that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe out off the face, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I created together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I, I regret, I grieve that I made them. Noah, however, found favor in the sight of the Lord. So you can see Noah as this Christ type who God instructed him to build this boat to store these two-by-two two animals to go forward and kind of just, you know, this new creation 
that is set forward. And so we can see that Noah, he's building something, he's doing something, he's creating this new uh, safe haven uh, for those that choose to follow, because he did preach during this time that he was building the ark. And people rejected his teachings, and people rejected his, his warning about judgment coming. They didn't believe him. And the same thing with, you could see Christ, he, he, he taught and he preached about, you know, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is here on earth. And repent and turn and, and turn to me. I'm the son of God. And what ended up happening is that his own, the people in Nazareth and, and, and Jerusalem, they turned against him. And even one of his own disciples turned against him. So you can see that both Jesus and Noah are kind, are kind of, the, it's, it's a, it's a, Noah is a, is a foreshadow of Christ who preached the goodness of Yahweh, preached the goodness of God and offered to those who repented to receive salvation through Christ through a Christ type uh, thing. So we've got Noah the boat, Christ the cross. And so you can see the parallels of Christ and the resurrection within the Noah narrative. So then what about the global promise? So Mason, what about the global promise about the, the rainbow? So the rainbow, I mean, as God specified, it signifies that God will destroy this earth again, but not the, not the same way he did it the first time. It's not going to be with the water because, I mean, uh, I mean, if we'll go back and look in historical, historical events, um, it had never actually rained on the earth before the flood. You know, people, you know, you said it's supposed to rain next week. You know, people had no idea what, what, you, what you're talking about. So um, I think it's important for God to say, you know, I'm not going to do that again because, you know, ever since then it has rained, you know, in most areas weekly or however so often. Unless you live in Seattle, it's daily. Yeah, unless you're in like in a rainforest. But... <laughs> The second time when Christ comes back, you know, it's going to do something it's never done before again with fire. And I think, you know, it's important for God to say, you know, you know, I destroyed this earth once with water. And I I promise, it, you know, these floods, these storms might seem bad, but it's it's not going to take everything out like I did before. Like that is my promise. You know, even though it may continue to rain since the flood, it's not the end. And you can find the scriptural root of that rainbow promise in Genesis chapter 9. I'll read uh, verse 12 to, well, whenever I'll stop. It says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a Floyd, a Floyd, a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. So that the concept of, of that rainbow is amazing for a multitude of reasons, but one that I'd like to bring up because it's something that personally I just haven't really thought of until around the current time we're in is that promise is so much more than just God saying, I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood again. That's a reminder that whenever these disasters do happen, and yes, they wreak their havoc, but it's far from an extermination of humanity. You can thank God. You, you can give God the glory through the fact that like there is sort of an interceding going, taking place mm -hmm. because God isn't allowing it to take out all of mankind again. Like, yes, these disasters happen, and yes, they're the, I mean, the bodies stack. I mean, it, it's morbid. Like, I'm not going to ignore that for a half second. It's a tragedy that one life gets taken away, that 
hundreds, that thousands, that millions in some cases throughout uh, humanity's dark history. Yes, that is sad, but you can still find that comfort in God that he is providing uh, protection. There is that mercy. There is that grace because it's not a global wipeout. So I, th- I think that the, that rainbow, it, that bow, that covenant, it offers much more than just that, uh, the comfort within the context of those verses mm-hmm. being like, I'm not going to flood the earth again. It goes so much further than that. Well, this is in the notes, but you can look at Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, he interceded with God as like, you know, if there was only a couple righteous and multiple times, you know, God showed mercy upon Lot and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah is like, Okay, yes, if there was this many righteous. Okay, if there's this many righteous. But in the end, what ended up happening is it's like man could compare to what God's standards was like, okay, I, I guess there's none. So there was judgment. And so you'd also see Lot, even though he's a, a poor Christ type, he's still a Christ type, that he interceded with God and, and pleaded God for mercy. And that's what Christ does for us now with, with, with him being the, the sacrificial lamb as being the Christ that is interceding presently with us. And I believe a lot of, a lot of it that he is, you know, just hold off. Allow them to have faith in me a little bit longer. I said lot, but I'm at Abraham. So if we're talking about disasters here, we, we've uh, covered the flood, which is a pretty big one. So the next one that we're going to cover briefly is another mainstream one by biblical standards. It's one that pretty much everyone knows that, again, has ever stepped foot inside a church. Uh, but the plagues in uh, Exodus are another big one, mainly because I, personally, I don't really view those as natural disasters. I mean, for one, because the word plague gets assigned to them. But I mean, a plague is absolutely a disaster. So I, I do think the shoe fits. Um, and again, this isn't even an argument that I thought of until I was like looking at um, like examples of disasters within the Bible. And I was thinking, wait, could someone form an argument on like how this might fly in the face of the rainbow covenant? Like, obviously my answer to that is no, like it, it doesn't fly in the face of that. But I think that's something that we uh, could potentially tackle with it. Uh, but again, to, to get a scriptural root going here on the plagues, uh, the first mention of it happening in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 7. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through again until I'm done. <laughs> it says, The Lord answered Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you, then Aaron your brother must declare it to Pharaoh, so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand on Egypt and bring the divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. So these plagues, um, well, first off, like Mason, what, what is the purpose of the plagues? Like just overall, what, what would you say the purpose of them was? Well, I mean, it was to show Pharaoh he wasn't in control. Um, you know, God, as you read, sent, I almost said Noah because we've been talking about <laughs> Noah for so long. Um, but as you know, as God sent Moses, you know, to free, you know, the Israelites, God's chosen people, um, Pharaoh said, you know, no, they're my people. And God's going to say, you know, you might think you're over a certain individual group, but no, these are my people. I am not only like their ruler, but I'm ruler overall. And I think, I mean, it was kind of one to show Pharaoh and I mean, people in our time, you know, we look, we still look back on it. I mean, we're talking about it right now. So it was to show, you know, God's in control. 
And, I mean, he's going to take care of his people. I think that was a, a, a second way. Yeah. And, and I definitely think, um, just to address that potential argument of, oh, this flies in the face of the Rainbow Covenant. I mean, as I was talking about before, like, the other promise that you can draw from the Rainbow that, like, when disasters happen after that, it's never a mass extinction event. That, I mean, this jobs, this wasn't a mass extinction event. This was a very specific event. It was surgical, what, what God was doing. This was, this mm-hmm. was pointed. Like, Precise, there was no yeah. question what the purpose of this was. This, this was a show of strength from God to, like, make it clear, these are my people, Pharaoh. And if you, if you mess with my people, you mess with me. And you're about to find out what happens when you mess with my people. Well, I'm going to interject a little uh, uh, spoiler review. Is that, you know, these people, this is the line that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the whole world, comes through. And so the precision strike that he has here is for reasoning to free the people of where Jesus Christ comes from so that he can redeem all of the world. And so there's a reason why he was, he was showing his power and authority in the future context of the Savior of the world to come through. And so I, I th- we say chosen people. This is the chosen line that God has decided to send his son through. But yet his will is to save all of humanity. That's his will. Because he gave him, how many times did uh, Moses go before Pharaoh? Ten times. Ten times to say, okay, let my people go. And he could have said yes right off the bat, and it would have been honky-dory. There would not have been the, the final, uh, the death of the firstborn child uh, would appear, and it wouldn't have been as disastrous. But because of Pharaoh's hard heart and the continuing of his hard heart because of his denial of God's authority and power, it became more disastrous. Yeah, and you said the word chosen several times throughout that. So what's, what's the root of, of chosen? Choice. I think that's another thing that comes into play when it, uh, when it comes to the plagues. There were quite a few few plagues here. It wasn't just a one-and-done type thing of God saying, okay, I'm going to send some frogs, and then if Pharaoh doesn't let my people go, then I'm going to kill everyone's firstborn. No, 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 no. There were plenty of opportunities. And, yes, um, I know there's a lot of discussion around the, the Scripture when it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, but I think there are two ways that we can take that, and we can hash this out if we want, but I just, I just want to kind of play devil's advocate here. Well, I don't know if that's a. I wouldn't say that. Whatever. I'm going to play Savior's advocate here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some people make the argument that, like, God literally hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. But I could see you arguing it the other way and God basically acknowledging that these plagues, while to some people you'd think, like, oh, once you're to, like, the third, fourth, fifth plague, like, obviously you'd be thinking, oh, man, these plagues are. They're taking me down. I got. I got to get out while while I'm still a little bit ahead. But I think you could also take that as God acknowledging that Pharaoh is just a stubborn dude, and these plagues are more than likely. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that omnipotence comes into play. That it's going to have an opposite of the desired effect. Mm-hmm. But again, this is a show of God's strength, making it clear like you don't mess with my people. This is this is where the savior of mankind is going to stem from. So I'm going I'm going to back him up 100. percent And that's why that last plague had to be so insanely destructive. And I want to touch on that one for a second. I've had this going since Tanner brought it up. You know, you talked about like how there's the promise of, you know, it's not going to wipe out everything. Yes, that last plague wiped out the firstborn of, you know, every person who didn't shed or spread the lamb's blood above the doorpost. But here's the thing. They could have got away with through that plague and it had actually never happened if everybody had done that. The Egyptians had the choice to. Yep, they did. So, I mean, we want to act like, oh, God, you know, sent the death angel to kill all these kids. Yes, 
But the death angel could have left that night and not have killed a single person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody there had a choice. And, you know, you, we want to say, like, oh, you know, this is where the blame game really comes into effect, and this is where I'm getting on my little preacher rant. I, I just had the Holy Ghost going to me right now. Do it. <laughs> Do it. I got to keep it down because I'm, like, right in this <laughs> mic. You know, every, everybody, everybody knew. Moses had told Pharaoh what was going to happen. I mean, it was laid out what to do. They saw the Israelites doing it. They could have copied what they were doing. There were so many opportunities, but people want to say, oh, you know, how can God kill these people? They let them die by not uh, obeying, you know. They had a choice, just like, you know, people today have a choice. You know, why, you know, why does God send people to hell? That, those two tie together so well, he does it. Mm-hmm. It's by your own choice. People will make a choice. And it's the same thing that the Egyptians had that day. You know, you can apply the, the blood slam. You can apply Jesus' blood to your life and your sins. You can in, invite him in, or you can reject that. And then that your second death is going to be on you. God sends you where you want to go. Yeah. That, and, I mean, keep in mind, this happened, this, this is the final plague. There have been plenty of others before that to establish that clearly there's some otherworldly power at, at, at work here. Like, the darkness came. Livestock just decided to pass. Like, Rivers turned into blood. Yeah, there's I mean, this crazy dude throwing a stick turning into a snake. Like, it, obviously something's going on here. Now, I want to also, when you talk about the blood being shed over, I want to parallel this to 2,000 years ago on the cross. Because you can see clearly that the that there is death to come upon everybody unless there's covering of the blood. And we can see Christ being the firstborn of God, taking that propitiation of our sins. And because if we allow that blood, if we are under the shelter and under the arch of that blood-covered door, as in the Old Testament, that we are now covered upon death, that death, we do not have to taste this, uh, the final death. And so with, with this exodus, you see a great story of people that have been redeemed, that have been restored, have been set free of bondage. This blood that's covered the post, as Mason was talking about, now covers those that choose to abide under that home of the blood that's covered. And they are receiving this redemption, this this receiving grace, this exodus out of bondage. And so one thing I want to point out, like you said earlier, this exodus uh, was for those that chose to follow God's instruction. And so it was not only for the Jew, but also later on in Exodus, you can see that even some Egyptians followed this this calling and put blood up on their post and followed. Later on, they kind of intermingled, you know, Egyptian gods with, with, with the, you know, God Jehovah, and they had, you know, the golden calf and blah, 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 blah. But the same thing can be applied with us now is that the blood of Christ is for the Jew and the Gentile. And so the scripture still applies. And, I, and when you see the Old Testament of the Exodus and the ten plagues and the blood being covered, you can see a, a direct parallel between the death of Christ and the Exodus and the freedom of sin and bondage. Yeah, And you could potentially treat the past however many minutes we've been talking so far as the world's longest intro to two introductory questions on this series that we're doing right now. Uh, these two introductory questions being, one, why is there death and suffering in the world? That's, it's because of sin. It's because of wickedness. And I think that's illustrated very well in the flood. And then the second question being, if God is so loving, why does he allow pain? And I think those plagues do an excellent uh, job of establishing it, it's because of free will. It's because of choice. Like God loves us so much that 
He's willing to go through that pain of, of seeing his creation kill each other, die, disobey, just in the hopes that we'll have a genuine free will-based relationship with him. And having those two questions uh, be addressed, that can take us into the next episode next week. We'll, we'll get to discuss um, outside of that scripture and get into some new scriptures on how we can look at uh, natural disasters, pandemics, all this evil that happens in the world, tackle it from that scriptural point of view and figure out what, what, what is there to find hope in throughout all this. What, how can we find comfort? What, what does God tell us about how to treat these situations? So we'll, we'll get into that next week. Uh, until then, peace out.